You are listening to The Cycling Podcast. Hello and joining you for a special end of year Christmas edition of the Cycling Podcast and thus providing short-lived respite from the incessant reruns of that festive movie featuring a young Jonas Vingegaard defending his suburban Chicago home from an invasion by a pair of robbers after his family accidentally forgets to take him and their 11 other kids on a yuletide jaunt to Paris. Yes, the middle classes had more disposable income in the 90s. My name is Daniel Freeber and I, over the next hour or so... We'll play the role of McAllister parent to the unruly crash of familiar names and voices that we have assembled for this episode, or slightly boozy rabble. Hopefully revisiting some of the 2023 professional cycling season, and hopefully not leaving anyone to fend off the wet bandits in Illinois. Now we have a starting lineup already on the field of play. Others may stumble into our midst over the course of the next hour or so. Or indeed, I may send one or two of the assembled cast back to the stands. Um, I'm going to say welcome and Merry Christmas immediately to Mitch Docker. Hey, how are you? Yeah, good to be here. Mitch, I think the only one who answered the call to dress festively, vaguely festively. There might be one (laughs) other I can see looking fairly sheepish in his Christmas jumper. But Mitch, good to have you with us. Great to be here. I can feel the, uh, the Christmas spirit through the lens here pulsing through the airwaves um to um, welcome and merry christmas as well to a rather tired looking motown maestro larry warbass hey yeah good to be here we've already established that mitch and larry do know each other um and they don't have long-standing animosity although i suspected they might at one point welcome as well to another retired pro but very much peaking podcaster in boswell good to be here daniel to Boz's main competition for the role of our own grown-up Kevin McAllister lookalike, Richard Abraham. Hi, Daniel. Merry Christmas. Neither of them can quite rival Jonas Vingegaard, I must add. And finally, for the moment, I think to the man who was supposed to retire at the Tour de France in the summer and when asked why he may yet return in 2024, replies Vino. No, it is, alas, not Mark Cavendish, but François Tomazot. François, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I don't have a Christmas gear, but I, I brought a little friend with me there. So every time I, I speak bullshit, it won't be me. It'll be, it'll be him. Can you describe what that is, Francois? Because I can't. It's, it's a little thing, you know, with uh, eyes <laughs> and, uh, and uh, a nose. I mean, it's, it's kind of my finger, you know, talking. And uh, I'm sure that it, I'm, I'm going to say contentious things. So it won't be me. It'll be him. Okay? Right. <laughs> um, Francois, any, any vino? For I, I, another of the directives that I sent out into the group. Vino here. It's actually Côte du Rhône from Jaboulet Aîné. And it's also, it's also organic wine. Vino is, uh, is on the menu tonight. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, we've already established, established that Larry is at his training camp on the Costa Blanca. Larry. And um, well, I said you were looking slightly tired, sounding slightly kind of browbeaten. You told us <laughs> you were sharing a room with uh, Bruno uh, Almirail, and um, you're quite concerned that he gets an early night. Oh, in fact, I can see him behind you. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you're quite concerned that well, you both get an early night because you've had a big well, you've had a, a big day already, and you've got more big days I think coming. 
Yeah, tomorrow's the last day, so uh, so that's good. So yeah, no vino for me, just some decaf Nespresso. Uh, unfortunately, a little less exciting, but uh, but yeah, you know, you it let, is what it is. Can you let your hair down a little bit over the next week or so? Yeah, I'm actually going to Hawaii for Christmas, so that'll be really nice. So mm. that'll be a good uh, good reprieve, <laughs> but it'll be good. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Well, chaps, we usually start, as you know, the episodes with a news round. We're not going to have one this week because it is a special end of season episode. But there is some big news, some huge news, in fact, that has been over the last few days. News that Tadej Pogacar is going to ride the Giro d'Italia and well, he's also going to ride the Tour de France uh, attempt the double loss achieved by Marco Pantani in 1998 just thought we'd have a quick um, round a quick sort of um, survey of you chaps good idea, bad ideas, the double on um, I did some number crunching earlier today looked at the, the time between the Giro and the Tour 34 days, exactly the same as when Pantani did it in 1998. And Francois, you were probably there in 1998, weren't you? I was, yeah, I was, unfortunately. Uh, well, it was one of my best. It was actually one of my most fascinating Tour de France, 1998, as you can imagine. Not for uh, sporting reasons, but for the drug scandal. Um, well, as, you know, podcast listeners uh, might know, I was uh, yeah, one of the guys who broke the Festina scandal in 1998. So, yeah, I remember it well, absolutely. And to be honest, I think it's a very good idea. We, it was about time that uh, Pogacar tackled the Giro, and I, I'm such a great fan. Yeah, I'm such a fan of today that uh, I think that if someone can achieve what Pantani did in strange con- circumstances in 1998, it's probably Pogacar. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And Daniel, I actually have it under I have it under uh, pretty good confirmation that. After uh, Larry and Tade got into this little debacle last year of, of Larry catching Tade in training, Tade became a big passing fan of the cycling podcast. Yeah, passing him, <laughs> he became a fan of the podcast as well as his team did as well. And they were uh, they've been listening to your Vuelta coverage on the fact that doing a Grand Tour is the best way to win a Grand Tour. So I think that's why he's going for the Giro to best prepare for the Tour de France. So maybe you're best suited to, to answer the question: Is this the right decision? Um, I don't know. I we we talked, didn't we, when the Giro r- route was announced? We said it was a sort of soft. It was a bit of a thirst trap for Pogacar this Giro with only forty forty thousand meters of climbing. I think we said, um, Larry, is that going to make much difference? Is the, those ten thousand um, meters of climbing less than the Giro usually has, or fifteen thousand meters of climbing less? Was that is that going to help him? I don't know if it's going to help him win it, but it might help him for the Tour de France because, you know, maybe it'll be like slightly less fatiguing. You know, last year there were maybe three days over 5,000 meters of climbing, which those are the days that really, really just kill you, especially if you're a GC guy going for GC, you know, racing to the finish every single day. So maybe actually it'll make it easier for him to do the double. Whether it's a good idea, I don't know. You know, it's like, if he had just won the Tour de France the last two years, I'd say, yeah, it's like a sweet idea. But, uh, you know, I still think if Vingegaard, I don't think he's going to do the Giro. And I feel like um, that'll give him like a little extra leg up on Tade. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's sweet that he's doing it. No reference to the other the other people trying to suffer through 5,000 metre stages. Only the GC guys doing it tough up there. The rest of us sort of used to cruise through those stages. This is what I love about today. You know, it's he's just bringing the old school um, racing back to the peloton. You know, he's just racing races. He's doing what used to be done. Um, 
and you know making it less less robotic you know um and i don't know if that will i i think with a guy like him maybe that's going to better prepare him for the tour who knows like i think he's one of the guys that he seemed to respond to racing really well opposed to that robotic preparation for the tour you know vingegaard that suits him i don't think the double would suit him but today i think the double might suit him even better than we think yeah i guess he'll have to squeeze and an altitude camp in there won't he he'll probably have to recover from the Giro I guess then go to altitude I mean thinking about Pantani when he did it he didn't um, really know that he was going to do the Tour de France and he sort of decided about 10 days before the start of the Tour de France so he was um, sort of mentally kind of decompressed I suppose after the Giro and maybe that helped in, in a similar fashion I suppose to maybe Sepp Kuss um, went home and although he knew that he was doing the next Grand Tour he didn't get too sort of stressed about the next Grand Tour and as Boz said um, we found that win- winning formula didn't he um, last year Mitch just thinking about well not next year but the current year one of the one of the great events um, as we move on to talk about christmas and the end of 2023 one of the, one of the great happenings of this season as far as i'm concerned um took place just a few days ago and this is where i wanted to start um as we do talk about christmas and the end of 2023 um, i wanted you to tell us and kick us off by telling us about the belgy christmas um, you may have done this on your podcast before, but I saw some posts on Instagram and, well, my eye and my attention was drawn to the magnificent attire that was being sported. I've already sort of castigated you lot for not you're not showing up in festive attire today, but there was a certain kind of festive attire for the Belgi Christmas. What is the Belgi Christmas? Well, the Belgi, it's this, uh, it's this very famous ride in Melbourne. It started out about... about 15 years ago i don't know the exact start of it but it was just a ride that started in the inner cities of melbourne where they decided to do a route that didn't include the main roads and it's evolved over the years but the best part about this ride is it's called the belgi but it doesn't really resemble belgium um in in all aspects of the racing there the only thing there's only two cobbled lanes in it but the rest is all mixed terrain it's it's grass alleys it's fields there's gravel tracks there's single track it's everything and it's supposed to be on road bikes um it's a very fun ride it's full gas but the best part about it is there's lots of shortcuts you can take so if you get dropped, you can just take a shortcut and you can join back in and you can rip it as hard as you want and then just get dropped again and then join back in. So the idea is to complete a Belgie. To complete a Belgie means you don't take any shortcuts. If you do, if you get dropped and you take a shortcut, you complete a duchy, as we call it. You know, it's like who, who completed a Belgie today? Everyone has a, has a word about it and who was on a duchy. The Christmas Belgie goes up another step. It's all in dress up affair, but it doesn't mean the pace is off. It's gaining levels as the years go on. This year, I went in Lauren Fignon's. Uh, it's not Super U. U. System U. U. Yes, yeah, System U. And I had the the, the French um, bands on it. I didn't have the shorts. I was looking for the spectacles. I had a a, a leather helmet on, uh, which was probably a little bit too dangerous for this ride. But anyway, I went for it. All in, and it, it's really fun to see what everyone comes up with. It's I love that sort of dressing up that era of bringing back the old feels, the old vibes. The best part about this ride too is it's Christmas feel. We finish with Christmas drinks, but it's eight o'clock in the morning. So we finish with a beer. I had life on the Peloton beer there. We had, it's always tradition to have a shot of Uzo as well. 
and then you go about your day. 8.30 in the morning, three beers deep, couple of shots of Uzo. It's a long old day after that, I can tell you. <laughs> um, Mitch, where does everyone get the jerseys? Because as I say, it was a fantastic array of, well, I saw some, the, the Onse, the pink Onse jersey. I'm not sure which mm. year that was from, maybe 97 around that time. And that was a cracker. There was, there was a lot of, there were quite a few controversial Lance Armstrong tributes there as well in oh, various flavors. Yeah, but- Best dress went to um, a guy called Daniel Braunstein's, came full Lance, even with an old Trek Madone. Um, or Trek, is it, was it the Trek Madone that he used to ride? I can't remember. But his Trek bike, full kit. He even had the yellow jersey edition. Uh, everyone sort of gets it. The thing is, there's this retro cycling kit website, I think, and you can tell when they're made, they're remade jerseys. For me, I love to see the original ones, back the old school Nalini ones that are oversized, you know, that box shape cut. If people are pulling them out, you're like, mate, you've done some really good research. If you get the replica, you know, good on you. That's still good, but you want to have that original. I was lucky that I was in my old club in Brunswick Cycling Club. They've got a whole array of old jerseys there. And I was sorting through their old jerseys and I found that Sister Moo jersey. I was like, this is it. Um, gave a donation to the club and took the jersey for the for the day. So it's super fun. Everyone starts talking about it early on and um, the research goes into it. You want to... The full kit. You've got to have the full kit. It's easy to get the jersey, but you want to have the nicks, the gloves, the socks. That's the primo. The Belgian Christmas, by the looks of things anyway, certainly one of the highlights of the cycling year for anyone who took part. The, the year 2023 was, of course, the year of Jumbo Visma's Grand Slam. Uh, Mathieu van der Poel well, managing to avoid arrest, first of all, on the night before the World Road Race Championship, then winning, having also won Milan San Remo. Year of Thibaut Pinot, Peter Sagan, many more saying adieu. Thibaut's case, Francois beginning a second career as a PSG football hooligan, judging by pictures from Dortmund last week. But a vintage, a vintage year in lots of respects. And, well, our next stop in our review, in our very idiosyncratic review of the year this evening, chaps, um, is, well, with our own highlights cycling highlights of 2023 we've already heard mitch about the belgian christmas but i did ask you chaps before we convened for recording today and what was your best day in cycling in 2023 whether in your own cycling or um professional cycling and francois it's a a landmark year for you 2023 possibly your last covering the tour de france what was your best day of 2023 well, it is. It was definitely my last Tour de France, you know, unlike what you seem to think. And I must say, my, my last day on the tour was an emotional one. I mean, uh, Mitch was not far away. Uh, no, it was. You know, I. I well, as as I said, as as you probably know, I I gave up the tour on stage six at my favorite restaurant in the Pyrenees, hotel restaurant in the Pyrenees, Le Viscos, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite emotional because they they, they even they. they even at a pâté en croûte with my name on it. I mean, uh, uh, we had like uh, they, they, they devise a menu like a, like a Pyrenees stage, you know, with uh, lots of climbs, uh, a few you know flat sections, and uh, uh, some you know very steep descents full of booze. And uh, no, it, it was really uh, for me, uh, uh, you know, an emotional moment. And uh, I must say, my, my my best two moments in the se- on on the season were in, in restaurants. 
which won't surprise you. Uh, as we know on the podcast, uh, eating and drinking are part of the, uh, the cycling world. And uh, uh, the other one, apart from my farewell to the Tour de France, was probably on Paris-Nice. On Paris-Nice, we went up La Couillole, as you might remember, which is a, a climb that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that'll be not far from uh, the Tour de France this year as well. Uh, because, I mean, we'll be going to La Couillole uh, on the Tour de France. And at the very top of La Couillole, there's only one chalet, and it's called It's actually a, a, a restaurant, and it's called Quintessence. I'm sure the, the, the seats and the tables on race day on the Tour de France will be very, very dear in Quintessence. But if you have a chance, probably not on, on race day, but if you have a chance to go up La Couillole, uh, dear listeners, and have a seat and a table at Quintessence, even a room because you can sleep there. Uh, it's, uh, it was one of the best uh, culinary experiences I had this year. It's absolutely gorgeous. Not cheap, I suppose. I didn't pay. I was working for ASO there. But uh, yeah, no, I, the place is totally iso isolated. And it's a real, uh, it's in the mid, absolutely in the middle of nowhere. I think it's run by Swiss, a Swiss couple, uh, but a, 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 a great place. So, you know, if you, if you want to go to the you know, final days of the Tour de France uh, maybe you can book at uh, Quintessence in uh, La Couillot like uh, three or four days in advance but I mean if, if you spend the day the stage day there I mean it's on the finish line so you'll be you'll be happy I'm sure well. will you be there as a spectator in 2024 <laughs> possibly Actually, to be honest, I was, I was planning to find one day where I could just go as a spectator, yeah? Uh, and and more, more than as a spectator, just, just to, to, yeah, to have a night out and, uh, and, and a nice dinner and a few beers with, with you guys, you know, the, the second podcast guys, just, just to say hi. I haven't picked my, my stage yet, but I, I might, yeah, I might well do that. It's a fantasy that we all have. Um, whether it's riders or people who work on the tour as journalists, to just one day do the tour with the at the side of the road with a picnic camper and a crate of of beer. But um, yeah, alas, alas, that is an experience that I've not yet had. Um, Richard, you did your first Tour de France with a cycling podcast. Um, you don't have to name a highlight from, and that might have been the low light of your year. Well, when I when I arrived on the tour, it was perfectly poised. Everyone was talking it up as this like the best race in two decades. And then the first stage I was at was the time trial when when Vingegaard kind of put it beyond Pogacar's reach, and that was that. Well, he might slip into another category. I think that final stage with um, with Thibaut Pinot was quite something to behold. Like the firstly the logistical experiment of having the tour finish um, where it did out in the Vosges just the way that there was so much anticipation around Pino before that stage so much expectation so much pressure and seeing how amidst this kind of quite the, the emblem of modern cycling Jumbo Visma with all their R&D lots of investment and, and the tour pretty much sewn up versus Thibaut Pino and FDJ the sort of homeboy underdogs almost that were really capturing people's hearts And I was waiting for Mark Maddio at the finish, who sort of presents quite a, uh, what's the word? Like, quite a, like, he's got a kind of demeanour, doesn't he? And like a, a sort of presence. And he likes mm. to um, project himself in a certain way. Um, and then he sort of just broke down in tears while reflecting mm. on what was the end of Thibaut Pino's um, final tour. And 
just opposite the FDJ bus was the was the Lotto bus, and and the contrast between like the emotion and the attention that was on the Pino bus and the Pino party versus what felt like almost sort of uh, like just another day for Yumbo Visma, mm. even though they just won the tour. Um, and I just that that will that will stand out as a kind of you often get um, that 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 takes me back a little bit to I remember when Team Sky won their first Tour de France in 2012 and it almost seemed somber around the team bus I'm sure it didn't if you were part of the organization and uh, inside the team bus but it there was a real sort of prosaic kind of sense of just a job having been executed and from the outside it didn't really transmit any of the sort of joy that you would associate with well um sort of achieving the holy grail in professional cycling it was like they didn't lose you know it was the sort of satisfaction and the relief of not having lost even though they had won mm. whereas for pino and fdj they hadn't won but it was the sort of joy of not having one it was very strange and it was these two sides of cycling that were there and almost well as we'll get on to probably a bit of uh, uh, contrast and competition between them that kind of heart versus head or like mm. art versus science of cycling almost um manifested itself in like the sort of typical tour madness of uh like mm. very small mountaintop finish larry we did your 2023 debrief a few weeks ago um, when we discussed your heroics in 2023 in great detail what was the the best day that you experienced in 2023 as a professional cyclist I mean to be honest actually when you sent us the topics I think you said most memorable day slash cycling experience so I actually chose a memorable not my best day but uh, it was very memorable it was actually for me it was probably racing unbound I was there with Ian I think I was just yeah extremely unprepared and uh, it was a surprising day and it was super hard and I, I yeah I didn't expect it to be as uh, brutal as it was and so yeah I guess my first foray into gravel potentially last I don't know only gravel foray so far was probably for me the most memorable cycling experience because it was like um yeah i was pretty much alone off the back after about like i don't know 30 minutes of the race <laughs> and i just was traumatized like, for several weeks and maybe even months afterwards that's what i mean memorable i wouldn't say it was my best day that's for sure but uh but it was a very memorable day and in the whole i mean it was it was cool to sort of experience that whole scene in the u.s and like see what it was all about and yeah how much hype there is around it and my parents were at the race so it was kind of like old times um so i mean it was it was a fun experience looking back it wasn't really fun in the moment but uh but yeah for me it was a pretty memorable experience i would say for me that was probably my most memorable day of 2023 maybe not my best but uh but it was my most memorable you've hit on something larry because like most memorable doesn't really mean the best in cycling like if i think to my own rides this year like Daniel, you said what what ride or what experience reaffirmed your love for cycling? Like, I really didn't love cycling the day after what was the most kind of memorable ride of the year. But I think that's kind of part of it is that the experience isn't just like the best, the most enjoyable, the happiest. I love out of that that Larry it was like a new sort of like, and I'm not necessarily saying you were suggesting this, but I think a lot of people would assume that Unbound is just sort of a or gravel is for the has-beens, you know, it's sort of easy. I'll just come across there and win it. And you're like, Haha, I don't think so, buddy. This is this is pretty hard here, bud. Good luck even trying to make it. And it sounds like you got schooled out there by the big boys. Oh, yeah, I got schooled. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. 
<laughs> Even Ian tried to help me. I mean, he tried to give me all the advice he could, but uh, yeah, uh, Ian, it didn't help to, that much. If you, if you were to to critique Larry's gravel riding and pro- pronosticate um, Larry's future as a gravel rider, would it be a bright future that you would? <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't see trip. a lot of Larry in the race, to be, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think we like both went to take a quick a quick uh, nature break on, before the start, and he, Larry's like, "Oh, so we all just start at the front." I'm like. No, I get a call up because I was on the podium last year. You better get up there because you're going to be <laughs> ten rows back. And yeah, I mean it's, I mean gravel's evolved a lot since even I first came to it. Um, but kind of ironically, my most memorable moment is like the opposite of Larry. This summer, I went back and did the Adapta Tour, which is like kind of like for me going back into the old days. You know, it was this, the stage from uh, the finished in Morzine. I think it was stage fourteen of the tour over the Porte Soleil, and that was the first time I'd been in like kind of a big road environment since I left the world tour in 2019 and as memorable as it was, it was also like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I used to do this, like race down mm. these passes with, you know, really competent riders. There was actually two of Larry's ag to our teammates there. And I was like, Whoa, this is like nuts. You know, people think that the gravel stuff is crazy and dangerous, but oftentimes as Larry can attest unbound is really flat. And yes, there are some dangers, um, but you're not racing down passes in the Alps at 40, 50, 60 K an hour. Um, so that was my most memorable day on the bike personally. And then I think as far as when I look back over the whole season, like the moment that I enjoyed most as a fan, there was a lot this year. Um, but I think one that really stands out to me that I think a lot of people have may, may have forgotten about was stage one of the tour de France. And, you know, everyone's Mm -hmm. excited for the tour and to see the Yates brothers on stage one, go to the finish line together. I, I grew up racing with my younger brother and to see that happen, it was like, I wouldn't say it was emotional, but I was like, that is so cool. You know, and to think, mm. you know, their parents and stuff to like have both your kids, not just brothers, but twins to go one, two on stage, one of the Tour de France and, and take yellow. Um, I still can't distinguish them apart, but one of them won. Um, and it was just like, it was a moment that I was like, wow, that is like a moment for me that would stand out. I mean, back in the day we had the Schlecks, but to have two brothers that are so good on stage, one of the tour fighting for the yellow Jersey was something that, that really stood out for me. Mitch, we'll finish. We'll finish the part with you. We'll come mm, to you for your highlight uh, alongside the Belgian Christmas sentiment. I'll just keep in mind. I suppose there are two days really which stand out in terms of the, the intensity of the moment. Um, Francois, I guess you can probably empathise with this. Um, I well, I was talking to someone the other day about well, memories of the year and also just memories from bike races in general. And you get to a point. You can get to a point where you feel as though your hard drive is full, and you feel as though you're in danger of just sort of remembering the same stories from 10, 15 years ago and the same kind of anecdotes. And therefore, you know, particularly the last last seven or eight years, I've done all of the grand tours and, you know, a lot of days kind of blur, blur blend into one. So any day that sort of has a, a, a higher kind of amplitude, a greater sort of intensity, sometimes it can be the sort of light I talk a lot, bizarrely, about light quality on cycling podcasts. But, you know, the the colours are more vivid. The sounds are more sort of vivid as well. And one day, which definitely stands out for me in that sense, was the time trial to Monte Lussari in the Giro d'Italia, where everything just seemed to be dialed up to 10. The drama, the emotion, um, obviously the the conclusion itself, the denouement itself with um, Roglic. Well, that, that incredible moment where Roglic's chain dropped and everyone watching on top of the mountain was just 
convinced instantly that his chance had passed and we were witnessing um well another another sort of near miss another example of heartbreak in the career of Primoz Roglic only for us to discover a, a few minutes later that in fact he was he was beating Geraint Thomas um so that day I think everything about that day that sort of pierces that punctures um, as I say, that sort of blur, that kind of white noise of just lots of memories over the last few years. And, and I think that's a, a day that I will always, always remember. And another m moment that stood out for its intensity and just the, the kind of sense of a sort of mountainside kind of throbbing um, was the moment where Pogacar attacked on, was it stage five or six of the Tour de France um, on the way to Couture. I think mainly because it was so surprising. We'd seen him get dropped by Jonas Vingard the day before and we all thought that that was pretty much the Tour de France done after five or six days. And it was so sort of in keeping with Pogacar's personality, his showmanship. It kind of came from nowhere. Um, there was this sort of gloom enveloping the mountain, um, sort of juxtaposed with the, you know, the fantastic colours of the crowds and the noise of the crowds. And again, that was a moment just for its, its sort of intensity and the way it kind of resonated with me um, really stood out in 2023. So that would be my two. Mitch, what about you? Yeah, look, in, in true sort of Belgy fashion, like we've spoken about my day on the bike. Um, you know, maybe it was the Belgy, maybe it wasn't. Let's just leave it at that. But I'm going to move away from the tour because there are other important races in the season. And what race do you think I'm talking about? Of course, Roubaix. This year, Roubaix, I think, was an amazing addition. The fastest ever addition and things, if everyone remembers, things kicked off on stage uh, on Sector 20, Wallers, when Jumbo Visma absolutely annihilated the field leading into Arenberg. It didn't happen in Arenberg this time. It happened in the sector before. And the, the best riders went off the front there. I was thinking, what's going to happen from here is 100k to go. Ultimately, we saw the duel. We we're going to see Van Aert, Van Der Poel come across the final sectors there in Carfordalab. You saw, you know, Degen Cobb shouldn't have even been there. He was right up there only to have heartbreak taken away from him with, the, with that crash. And ultimately, Vanderpool going away and winning it because of Van Aert's puncher. You know, was it because of that? Was he going to win? Like Roubaix, every year, it just delivers this race. I just love this race. And this year was, again, for me, I watched that race and I remember why I love cycling because of that drama in that race. So much happens in that one day. And it produces just a, a, a beautiful winner every year. There's always a great story to it. And this year was just another great addition. I love Mitch, that do you get Do you get pangs when you watch that race? Is that the one day of the year when you still wish you were a professional cyclist? I don't know. It's like I was watching an interview from Vanderpool recapping this just recently. And he said the same thing before the race. It's such a love-hate relationship with this race. I love it now because I'm not doing it, but in the race, I don't know. It's you only really enjoy it. I think afterwards, it's not much you really enjoy in that race unless you're those guys who can cruise across it. I don't know. I guess I guess so. I romanticise it now and think, yeah, I wish I was back there. But far out, I would just get my ass handed to me if I went back there now. Shoot, uh, shoot that arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is supported by NordVPN. Regular listeners will already know that NordVPN is a virtual private network which can keep you and your data safe and secure when you're online. 
It can protect you from all manner of viruses, although admittedly it won't prevent the one that I'm currently suffering from. For that, you'll need to head to the medicine cupboard. But for everything computer-related, NordVPN is the thing for you. Firstly, it's really easy to use. Once you've installed it and signed up, you can connect to the VPN in one click. If you choose the auto-install option, you won't even have to click. It will just kick in automatically whenever you turn on your device and give you the coverage you need when you're online. Now, you might think that with a barrier between you and your internet service provider that the connection would slow down, but that's really not the case. Speed tests confirm that NordVPN is the fastest VPN out there. You can use it to protect up to six devices, so your phone, laptop, desktop computer, tablet, even your smart TV if you want. And it works with all the major platforms. So whether you're on Apple, Android or Windows, it will just work. You can connect to one of 6,000 servers in 60 countries. So when you're traveling, you can log on to the Internet just as you would as if you're at home. And you can access your favorite streaming services uninterrupted. There's no problem with geo restrictions or blocks. In the first place, I chose NordVPN because I wanted to make sure my internet connections were safe and secure and my data was away from prying eyes when I was away from home, using the Wi-Fi in hotels or press rooms at races or tethering my laptop to my mobile phone. And once I'd signed up and seen how it all worked, I realised that I should really have the same level of protection when we're at home using the internet. So NordVPN has been a great service for me over the last few years. And if you'd like to give it a go, NordVPN has a great deal for all of the Cycling Podcast listeners. Go to nordvpn.com slash TCP for the Cycling Podcast and you'll be able to access the best deals NordVPN have to offer. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee too, so you can give it a try risk-free. Go to nordvpn.com slash TCP. Before I hand back to Daniel and Co, I'd like to wish everybody out there listening a great Christmas and a happy new year. Well, we are talking mainly about the 2023 season in professional cycling today, men's professional cycling. Um, the Cycling Podcast Feminine, they've already had their Christmas edition. They had a Christmas quiz this week. I've got a, a few questions for our panellists later, um, but more of a review that we're doing. And um, We are talking about 2023, but thoughts, thoughts are already turning to 2024 and in fact as we're recording tonight the Vuelta a España is was being presented I think it was being presented well, I'm not sure where it was being presented and we'll ask another guest who's just joined us who's just dropped in parachuted in fresh from the Vuelta presentation itself he's going to tell us where the presentation was and what the route's like in 2024. Rob Hatch, Merry Christmas. How are you doing? A very Merry Christmas to you all. I'm very, very well, thanks. I'm fresh off the plane about three hours ago from holiday. Um, I actually went through Madrid today where it was presented, but uh, I decided to do my best Terry Wogan impression well, it was at home. It was Madrid. I thought it was going to be in Lisbon when I switched on because we were severely lacking in the information department. Um, but it was very interesting. Well, I was uh, going to say, Rob, bearing in mind that we have got potential welter winner um, on the panel tonight. I'm looking um, around. What was that, Francois? Uh, Larry Warbass. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking hard at Larry Warbass. Um, <laughs> La- La- Larry's <laughs> semi-enthused, I think, by that declaration. Yes. Bearing <laughs> that in mind, what can you tell Larry in particular about the route that awaits in 2024? 
Well, Larry, who I waved at, actually, as I flew over him earlier on today, I could see Denia in the distance and Oliva and all those places. Um, yet we begin in Lisbon, time trial to start. And the big difference this year in the Vuelta is time trial to end as well. Madrid, it's the usual roads, Gran Villa, Atocha roundabout up to Cibeles, but it's a 22-kilometre time trial. That's one for you Australians, that, by the way. A 22-kilometre time trial uh, to finish off in Madrid. But in between... There ain't too much for the sprinters, let's just say that. It is a Vuelta, it's the most Vuelta of Vueltas in that sense. They go back to places like the Cuito Negro, which is a horrible uphill finish that Dario Cataldo won on before people started looking at changing gear ratios and things like that. He almost had to put his foot on the floor before he got up there with Thomas de Gent. There's Lagos de Covadonga that comes back as well, which is a, a really nice stage that I'm particularly looking forward to. Picon Blanco is the final mountain stage, Dan. It's mainly a welter that starts in Portugal with three stages. We go to Andalusia for the next six or seven days. It's going to be a hot Vuelta España, by the way, a very hot Vuelta España. There's a lot of Galicia, a lot of Asturias, which I know you it like, like, Daniel. It's my dream Vuelta. Um, I would say the last week, the last week and a half is your dream Vuelta, isn't it? I think Andalusia... Mind you, you're a fan of Agarandissimo, aren't you? So. Yeah, Portugal, Andalusia and the north, missing out. Um, apologies to anyone who lives there, spends a lot of time there, but missing out Costa Blanca, Costa Brava, and that is ideal for me, I must say. Well, Rob, before we move on, I think there's somebody at the door. A carol singer, maybe. <laughs> First of all, dear listeners, I wish you a really Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. So about my wish list for Babbo Natale, my letter, as we say in Italy, Babbo Natale, Santa Claus. Well, no, maybe it can be a surprise for you, but I don't ask for a cycling without cyclists. Not at all. Mm, for me, cyclists are not a problem. But it would be sufficient a grand tour with only mountains near to the sea. So after the stage, I can go to sleep near a beach and maybe the day after, before the other stage, go for a swim or something like that. Uh, imagine, for example, a tour of Italy only with this kind of mountains, Vesuvio or Etna. What do you think about? I think it's uh, not only a wish list but a marvelous idea so not only for Babbo Natale but Mr. Christian Prudhomme, Mr. Mauro Vegni, Mr. Javier Guillen. Think about this, believe me, only mountains near to the sea can be the right answer. Merry Christmas again, dear listeners. Well, there was Chiro telling us and telling, well, Babo Natale, telling Santa Claus what he had hoped was um, was in his stocking as far as Grand Tours were concerned. I don't think he's going to be um, wholly satisfied. Only mountaintop finishes by, by beaches was Chiro's, well, we heard it there, was what Chiro wanted um, for the 2024 Grand Tours. There'll be a few days where... Um, I think he'll, he'll get his wish. Um, but chaps, we're going to move on. We're going to continue to 
to rattle through our review of the 2023 season and well the next category um, these categories are very sort of ad hoc but like the sort of tours de france of the late 90s early 2000s everyone's got their own ideas about who's the real winner but um the, the, that accolade or the actual victory is never going to be officially attributed um everyone will go away sort of um, with their own ideas Ride of the Year is the next category and I'm going to ask for your nominations at the moment. Now, my nomination um, is a a sombre one, really, but it's an important one, I think. Um, We all know that midway through this year in June at the Tour of Switzerland, um, Gino Maida, the Bahrain victorious rider, tragically lost his life in a crash on the Albula Pass this shook the whole world of professional cycling it certainly shook his team and in that light um i thought and i chose for my ride of the year um matej mohoric's performance two days later he was at the tour of slovenia while riding obviously with a very very heavy heart um matej mohoric actually took his first win of the season Two days later, on the 18th of June, it was stage five of the Tour of Slovenia. And in fact, um, we asked Matej Mohoric to share his memories of that day and why it was so important to him and his team. So here is Matej Mohoric. So obviously what happened in Tour of Switzerland shaked all of us. Uh, we were We didn't know what to think what to how to act or uh, we just freezed in in that moment and uh, the next day we figured that we didn't know what we should do the best way to escape that feeling was to pretend nothing ever happened and to go on our bikes and uh, and race to take our minds off this terrible thing that we that we couldn't stop thinking about and then uh, yeah something that helped us to evade the reality no then the next day the following day was uh, the last stage of of uh, tour of slovenia me personally we had some time to think and reevaluate what we appreciate in life uh, reevaluate why we do cycling why we love this sport we also were told more about the circumstances of the crash with Gino. And personally, I decided that the best way to deal with the situation and the best way to honor Gino was to try even harder and give my best uh, also in his honor because he, this opportunity to prove himself on the bicycle was taken away from, uh, from, from our friend. So uh, we were still, but we were still there to able to do that uh, also in his honor i felt a lot of responsibility and put a lot of pressure on myself for uh, for that stage i did have it in my mind before the race in preparation for the tour but it was more of a i wouldn't say training ride but more of a yeah just a part of a checklist uh, of things to do before the tour i didn't feel any pressure whatsoever but then after all that's happened, I really wanted to win that race, not just uh, because of myself, but also for uh, for Gino and to help all team get through this difficult time together and united. 
yeah, I was uh, in deep focus the whole day. Uh, I didn't think about anything else but but winning that stage. Um, I was hyper motivated and uh, determined more than ever. I also spoke to my teammates about that and I inspired them to yeah to really go out there and um, pedal as if there was no uh, no tomorrow and um, we sticked together and we made it happen. Uh, there was no other option for me and uh, yeah it was probably the best uh, on that climb was probably the one of the best five minutes efforts I will ever do in my career but it was uh, yeah I, I almost felt as if I left my own body and just watched myself um, riding towards that victory when it happened it had a higher uh, significance for us all and we were then all together more determined to we found a way to to deal with the situation and honor Gino in our own way uh, with what we know uh, and what we love uh, to do. So chaps, um, as I said, that was one nomination for Ride of the Year for very sort of emotional, sentimental, poignant reasons, I suppose. Um, it was a year of lots of fantastic performances in stage races, in the classics as well. Um, we won't necessarily get a nomination from and everyone but um can we have can we have some nominations at least does anyone feel strongly maybe larry you were in the peloton you were at the bleeding edge of things there in the peloton maybe you witnessed a performance that particularly stands out to you as the ride of the year well again no this one isn't one that i witnessed so i think i'm just going against all your uh, recommendations but <clears throat> for me i would say one thing that really stuck out to me as a ride of the year was uh was Tadej Pogacar in the Tour of Flanders. And I mean, okay, Pogacar is probably going to win like half of everything, right? But I just thought that was so cool, you know? I mean, again, he's kind of like tearing up the rule book of like modern cycling or whatever, you know? And like, uh, here's a guy, you know, GC rider or whatever, Tour de France winner. And he decides like he wants to go race in the cobbles, but he's, you know, he's supposed to be a climber, but, uh, you know, he just goes and he absolutely crushes it, learns from his mistakes in the past. And, you know, I mean, just even the whole way the whole race happened, how they were so far behind at certain moment, you know, I can't remember if they were like four minutes down or, or what, and like, you know, to come back from this huge deficit and then win the race and everything to me was like, it was like a, just an incredible race to watch. And so for me, that was that was probably, I would say, for me, the ride of the year. Uh, pretty cool. And I'll kind of tag on Larry here. Um, my, mine was going to be Pogacar for the entire season. I looked, I went through pro cycling stats and he had twice he finished outside of, like beyond in Pyrenees stage two, he was 55th. And on stage three of the tour, he was 58th. If you go through his results for the rest of the year, you see a lot of ones and twos and threes and like the entire season and because it was in one day races, it was in, you know, in grand tours and other stage races. Um, I mean, his, his season looks like someone's, you know, a phenomenal rider's career, just continual top performances. And yeah, the, the diversity of, of the results in there as well. I'm a Pogacar fan, as uh, I've said already, but, but unfortunately for me, the ride of the year came from Jonas Vingegaard. I mean, his time trial performance on the Tour de France is really in the top three performances I've seen in, in my 35 Tour de France. I'm not a great fan of Jonas Vingegaard, but the way he really crushed, I mean, we all remember the time he took off, uh, you know, Wood van Aert, off Tadej Pogacar, 
it's you know it's I, I I would I think we were all speechless after that race and for me it's, it's probably the the most extraordinary performance I've seen since probably Chris Froome breakaway on the Giro or I mean I can't really think of many you know such performances on the Tour de France it was stunning uh, as you know it led some as as usual when you have these sort of performances led to speculation on the social networks but it was really 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 stunning in my opinion once again not my favorite race of the day uh, of the year uh, not my favorite rider at all but wow I was really really impressed by that really impressed it's quite hard to connect emotionally with a time trial though isn't it as an exploit as you well you mentioned a time trial yourself you know uh, <laughs> Roglic uh, beating uh, Geraint Thomas on the Giro but in in that case if, if, just looking at the figures just the immaculate way he rode from start to finish a guy who was I mean, you you would would not have you know described uh, Vingegaard as a, a time trial specialist only two years ago, and the way he rode almost to perfection, uh, everything was. I mean, yeah, he was in he, he was in a, in another world. I mean, I okay, it's not it's not as exciting as you know man to man confrontation or anything, but once again, uh, look at the figures, look at the way road, look at well, it. it, it destroyed the, the, the tour that day and once again I, 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 I've, I've seen very very few uh, such performance, performances in my in my 35 tours I was really really impressed I mean in, in, the, in, the, in a good or in a bad way you know whatever you want to think but in the sheer you know uh, sense of performance it was it was uh, extraordinary I was going to go down the Tour de France line with you guys, um, but I'm going to break away from the Tour again. Um, you can't look past that world's ride, Matthew Vanderpoel. Epic world championships. The race just explodes with... Um, you've got Denmark leading it in, exploding the race, 100 and something K to go, but then Vanderpoel crashing, breaking his cleat, breaking his shoe, riding to the finish like that was one epic worlds and like again a true deserved winner of that world's that that whole world's i was glued from from the start from that protest right to the very last sort of kilometer that ride was just bright of the year by far undoubtedly it was Vanderpool doing Vanderpool things wasn't it and and sometimes is but sometimes you I suppose if, if you're not naturally, if you don't feel sort of naturally kind of disposed towards um, Vanderpool, your eyes can kind of glaze over a little bit in the same way that, you know, I was thinking some of Remco Avenapool's rides were extraordinary. For instance, the, the ride after his um, meltdown on the Tourmalet, the fact that he came back the next day and was down the road all day and then won on his own. But you you were almost you were almost completely blase, blase about it because you expect those that kind of thing from Remco Evenepoel. I suppose in Van der Poel's case, he was on the biggest stage as well. It was in the World Championships. But I suppose talking about emotionally connecting with performances, I struggle to connect emotionally with Van der Poel's performances sometimes because I just expect these kind of Marvel comic book superhero performances. Um, I think I, I think yes, because I, I agree with that. But I think the way the race played out and made it just that more dramatic, you know, you had... Betiol off the front there and was he going to was he or not and then just the race was from so far out 
sort of looked like it was going to be boring because it was down to like 10 guys already, 100K to go or whatever it was. And it just kept amping up. I was like, how can this continually keep getting better? And But it just did. And then ultimately he went away and I was like, oh, okay, he's going to win. Then he crashes. His shoe breaks. You're like, oh, is he going to make it? It was just to the line. That was that descent from the new Aquadamont in his first proper Tour of Flanders all over again, isn't it? Where he then had yeah. to chase on and make <laughs> it more difficult for himself. But I, I also agree to a certain extent with what Daniel's saying. And, and, and just as in the position I'm sat in trying to, well, not always succeeding, but trying to say interesting things when these performances are put in. I'm running out of things to say for these guys because that. You know, they are like repeat exploits, repeat fleet. You know, the Remco attacking from a million kilometers to go and just riding away. Van der Poel doing these things. And just quickly for, for my performance there, I'm with Larry. I was sat there on the finish line in Aldenarda. And, and it's no secret that us guys don't really go to many races nowadays. But I was there. I was commentating on site for that one. And what that meant to the Flemish people, to everybody looking on, and all the things that have to go right in that race, for a guy, as you said, Larry, a Grand Tour contender who's you know, normally doing it on the bigger climbs, each and every one of those helling and you know, the little hills and the cobbled sectors, he had to be in the right place. He had to fight for that, repeated efforts on a scenario that's not his in front of those people, and those people in Belgium, I think, really appreciated that you know, he was willing to put or everything on the line by going there and doing that. I thought that was definitely the performance of the year for me in, in the Tour of Flanders. I'm going to go back to something Francois said about Jonas Vingegaard being the most impressive kind of performance that he'd seen. And and, and my suggestion is, is going to be a bit left field because it's the most entertaining ride, not necessarily the best performance. But did you watch the the men's Madison final in the World Championship? Uh, no. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Daniel Daniel loves indoor cycling. <laughs> thought I thought that was the answer. Yeah. You know, with it being like the the sort of super worlds this year, I probably wouldn't have tuned in for that as well. But but I did because it was all packaged up together. And Yuri Havik and Jan Willem van Skip. I mean, the, the Madison is just kind of utter chaos on the track it's sort of part like bleep test that you did in school sort of chess and it's 200 odd laps I think you know they tried to gain a lap at one point they didn't succeed it was just you've got riders going around all over the place but it was utterly gripping and they worked out they needed second place in the final sprint so they were you know you could see them just clinging on to this second place to win the gold. And then Jan Willem van Skip and, and Yuri Havik gave this the, one of the interviews of the year, I think, afterwards, almost like analysing every bit of the race. Um, but in terms of like the entertainment aspect of cycling and what draws you in and has you utterly captivated by what you're watching on t- TV, that was, that was the top for me, uh, like completely unexpected. You don't know half the people in the race. Um, but for that sort of wow factor, that was it. I can totally vouch for that. It was an amazing race, something i completely forgotten about, but I was, again, glued to my seat for that, Madison. It was amazing. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, let's get back to... Well, let's not get back to the cycling. Um, let's have an, another category... Um, before we conclude our second part of the review of the year, um, let's look at things that took place off the bike in 2023. Moving maybe more into a slightly into a journalistic realm 
for Francois and me and, and Rob and Richard. The story and the stories of 2023. Um, now, when I was assembling some of these today and thinking about the year that was, you know, I was, I was sort of going back and looking through the archives and also comparing 2023 with other years and other periods in professional cycling. And it strikes me that the sort of controversies and stories these days are somewhat tamer than they were at different points, certainly in my journalistic career and yours, Francois. Um, you compare it to sort of 10, 15 years ago, it's all sort of water pistols at dawn, whereas once upon a time it was kind of nuclear weapons. Um, some, there were some good sort of controversies, beefs though, chaps, in um, 2023. I'm going to ask you in a minute if you have any favourites. Um, Arnaud Demar against uh, David Gordou. This was the one. This was in January when Gordou said on Discord that he didn't want to go to the tour with Demar. Apparently Demar had not wanted to get into a lift with him. Uh, training camp. This was um, enjoyably petty. Uh, another one involving uh, Groupama, FDJ, Mark Madio, and Richard Plugger. This was at the Tour de France, of course. Um, Plugger apparently saw uh, Groupama, FDJ riders drinking beers um, on the rest day. Um, sh- shock horror. Um, Madio quibbled over the size of these beers and said they were, in fact, they were Perrier's. He said it's shabby, it's small and shabby of Plugger to um, to pick holes in the drinking habits, in the in the um, rehydration habits of his riders. Stefan Erlo and uh, Caleb Ewan. That was another one in the Tour de France. Uh, Erlo said that Ewan had sort of disrespected the Tour by abandoning and generally wasn't very good in the Tour. Was Erlo's contention. Um, that ended in the divorce, in Ewan's divorce from Lotto Destiny. He's going to be riding for Jaco Lula next year. Antonio Tiberi versus Katz, um, or a cat in particular. Um, shouldn't be too facetious about that. Don't Jumbo at the Vuelta. This was a cracker, wasn't it? This was one that transfixed us and entertained us for most of the Vuelta a España. And I, say, I would say this would be my favourite um, because... Uh, Grand Tour is a hot house, particularly when you're travelling with it every day. It's a sort of incubator of stories. Everything gets kind of blown out of proportion, but we all sort of revel in it and we glory in it. And being there on the ground, on the race, I certainly gloried in the different permutations and machinations of this story as it played out over three weeks. Does anyone, anyone else enjoy this one? Jumbo at the Vuelta? For me, it's a big one. And especially as I tried to put it as diplomatically as I could on the podcast every time I've mentioned that story. I'm one of the very rare uh, journalists or persons or cycling fans who think Sepkus shouldn't have won the Vuelta. I mean, you know, uh, if because I, I, I read many times, so it's my little friend, you know, my the eyes on my fingers uh, because it's contentions, and I'm, I don't want to everybody to hate me because he was so uh, unanimous that you know, ah, Sepkus is such a great guy, you know, especially from the Americans. He should, well, I mean, all everything he did for the team, it's a, it's a reward for, for the, 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 the you know, the great job he did. For, what for, what for, was for, that, Francois? Was that, what was it? Does it begin with B? 
No, I, I mean, to, to me, to me, bullshit? I mean, I think it's bullshit. I mean, in the history of Grand Tours, I, I don't, as, as I said it before, but I can't remember once uh, uh, when, you know, a, a, do you think Merckx or Ino or Antil would have le left, would have let a teammate, you know, however dedicated, win a Grand Tour instead of them? But did, did they no, let I him mean, win it? That's the thing. Did no, no, I, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something. So, not me, my little friend. So, let's, let's imagine a scenario. <laughs> Let's imagine a scenario and you'll tell me what you think. So it's, it's the 2024 Tour de France. Last, last day, as you know, is a time trial, okay, between Monaco and Nice. Let's, let's imagine Sapkus is leading Jonas Vingegaard by 25 seconds. What's, what is Jonas Vingegaard supposed to be doing? If I listen to the logics you know, I heard during the Welta, he should you know, take it easy and let Sepkus win the Tour. Do you think that's what he, he would do? Do you think it would be logical? So if that's not logical, then the Welta thing was not logical. To me, you had the leader, uh, it was Roglic, okay, he didn't do as well as he, as he needed to do. And then you had the stronger guy on the Welta, and I'm still convinced the stronger guy in the Welta was Jonas Vingegaard. So how come Sepkus... I, the, of, of those three guys, my favorite rider and my favorite person is Sepkus, definitely. But in the history of cycling, that's not the way it works. You, you go for the leader or you go for the stronger guy. You don't go for the nicer guy. Because if that's the way you go, then you, we should change the rules of Grand Tours and say that if two guys are level on time, the nicest, the nicer guy uh, gets it. You know? I'd probably that, win a lot more races. <laughs> 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 that's right. Yeah, that's right, Larry. So, so that, 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 that's, so that was not me. It was my little friend speaking, but it's, that's what he thinks. It's a hard school that you've got or your little friends got, isn't it? Dearie me. I tell you what, though. I mean, you referred to the Tour de France. That's a time trial. It's a completely different situation. I mean, there was no danger for Jumbo Visma. Like, there was no why? danger for Jumbo Visma. They had it sewn up. Why, why couldn't they decide? I mean, if they're one and two uh, before the final time trial. You know, I mean, you know, is, 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 uh, is uh, Jonas going to wait for Seb, you know, and, uh, and they, they cross the line together, you know, as friends? Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> Larry, we've already heard that the Vuelta España is going to conclude with a 20-something kilometer time trial. When you are 27, when you're in the red jersey in September and 25 seconds ahead of Aurélien paris Pant, are you going <laughs> to... Oh, yeah, he's not winning, no, that's for sure. <laughs> Boz? I forget, I don't think it was here that I said it, but I think that, I think Roglic caught way too much flack for all this. I mean, I guess on the Angleru, when you look at it, when he when he went, he had, I think, maybe like a minute to to Sep he was behind um, and people gave him you know a hard time for attacking on the Angleru but really it was it was Jonas that was actually closer on GC and Jonas chose to follow him you know Jonas could have waited with 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 Sep and actually not gone with him and you know the, he was more of a danger um, yeah I mean the whole the whole thing was a fiasco and I mean they're caught between a rock and a hard place and and you know I've listened to several interviews with Sep since and you know he he did win the race Um but yeah, I mean, it's it's also a horrible situation for for Roglic to be in, for you know Jonas to be in, and for Sep. You know, like, I think in the moment, I mean, things have kind of calmed down, and obviously, you know, Roglic has left the team, and that's probably been the best thing to to resolve the situation. But to a degree, I have to you know agree with Francois's little finger eyes. Um, we all want to watch bike racers win the race. I mean, Sep's a great guy. He's like one of the night. He's probably he's one of the nicest top contenders in in the peloton. Um, I mean, I think what he did was he also showed that he's capable of winning 
races in the future. You know, and, he, and I think we all sometimes forget that he was put in this situation also by his team by going up the road in that breakaway. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like you know they were riding together in the mountains every single day. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard situation. But um, I do have a problemica for the year. If we want to change subjects to something that give us your yeah. problemica of the year. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, this it's more recent, but this whole fiasco with, with Keon Utebrooks, um, and I think this will play out into the future of cycling, and I guess I'm no longer in the world tour, so I don't really have to, to worry about it, but I think for so long, riders like myself and like Larry and like Mitch, you know, we really were trying to seek security in the world tour, and riders are finally starting to receive longer contracts. What's happened with this, with Keon just essentially breaking a contract, and yes, I know there's potential rumors of you know abuse or i don't know a text group that was going on behind his back but i think that could really destabilize how riders and teams kind of operate together and i think that you know it's something that we're just kind of seeing the beginning of but it really could be a an issue i think for something that riders have worked so hard to get which is security and in pro cycling um kind of all going out the window for you know which i guess I mean, this has happened before with, with Van Aert, but now with, with Keon being such a young rider, it'll be interesting to see kind of how this may change the structure and format of contracts going forward. Yeah, I think the the legal world generally works on test cases and precedence, doesn't it? So I guess the ruling on whatever, which, whichever way it comes down on this case, is going to be vital to see how we approach things in the next few years. Larry, just before we conclude the part, did you notice, did you hear the other day that the UCI had their seminar in Lausanne last week and one of the figures that came out of it was that the mean average salary in the World Tour now is €449,000. That sounds I did see that, but the median is a lot lower. And unfortunately, I'm much under the... uh... (laughs) (laughs) You guys have got it pretty good these days, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I'm not bringing up the mean, yeah. When you when you talk about your mean, are you factoring in the fees you get from the cycling podcast? Oh, surely yeah, exactly, they, exactly. Surely they yeah. nudge you up to close to that 4-4-9. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, chaps, we are into our final part of the 2023 Review of the Year Christmas episode. And before we move on, I should remind the listeners, UK-based listeners, that they can still get hold of our Grand Tour um, wine selections, which we sort of come up with every year in conjunction with Divine Cellars of London. If you order before 10 a.m. on Thursday in the UK, that's 10 a.m. Thursday, the 21st obviously um, you can still get those delivered to your home in the UK um, that's dvine letter d vine.sellers.com now chaps um, the next category an important category I thought in the vein of inspired by Time Magazine their person of the year um, that is an award that they give every year this year who knows who got the person of the year award this year do you all know it was Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yes. I could rely on you, <laughs> boss. I know I could rely on boss. Um, this is a famous award, of course. Oh, not always a, a, a positive accolade. Not always rewarding, um, commendable behaviour. For example, Hitler got it in 1938. Um, Josip Stalin got it in 1939. Donald Trump, 2016. Um, but I thought rather than talk about a rider of the year, um, we would have person of the year and before 
we discuss this and maybe get some nominations. I've got three very, very, very left field ideas for people of the year. People who played some role in important events or significant events in 2023. Um, I'm going to see, I doubt that any of you will be able to tell me what their role was or who these people were. First one, Jonathan Guatibonsa. Does that name say anything, ring any bells for anyone? Uh, Jonathan Guatibonsa was a rider, the only rider who prevented Superman Lopez from taking a clean sweep, completing a clean sweep of nine stages of the Vuelta a Colombia in June. Um, there was... Um, Did he get to go to Disney World as well? Well, in that in in the stage that Superman Lopez didn't win, he finished second to Jonathan Guatibonsa. So um, I think he deserves he deserves some recognition for um, a curious but remarkable achievement in 2023. And Superman Lopez, who you mentioned his visit to Disneyland, did you know that he got he got dope tested at Disneyland? Um, this yes. week, I believe. Yeah, it was it was an interesting Instagram post, that one, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, another one, the, my second nomination for the left field person of the year. Um, Larry, we discussed this individual, but you might not remember what it was about or who he was. Eric Manizabayo. Who was he in 2023? Eric Manizabayo was the Rwandan rider who asked Wout Van Aert for a selfie mid-world championship road race in Glasgow. When the peloton, the peloton was stopped because of a protest, was it, was it climate change protest? It was. Yes. Yeah. 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 That was Last... brilliant, actually. That, that gave us 10 minutes of material. We had to fill for an hour during that. So it, was, <laughs> it gave us something to talk about. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> and the final one, chaps, um, Mitya Mejnar. Who remembers Mitya Mejnar and can tell me what contribution he made to professional cycling in 2023? Anyone? He's, he's, he's a Slovenian gentleman. Ah, oh, is he the gentleman who pushed crew? Roglic up the climb? He is. Yeah, the his former ski buddy. Ski jumper, yeah. The former ski jumper who just happened to be standing at the roadside when Primoz Roglic chain slipped in the decisive final time trial of the 20th. 23 Giro d'Italia um, I never really understood never got to the bottom of whether he had been sort of planted there by Jumbo Visma whether Roglic even knew or recognised him remembered him I'm not, not entirely sure anyway it's kind of um, a conspiracy theory isn't it that it just this guy happened to be there as the <laughs> yeah, chain fell much. off it's so. probably something like on the dark web devoted to it isn't there like a, a chat room with a load of conspiracy theories very, very much so. So, chaps, that brings us to our person of the year. I'm going to go first. My nomination, my suggestion, um, talking of Primoz Roglic, Jumbo Visma, my nomination for person of the year would be Richard Plugger, uh, the, the boss, the CEO of Jumbo Visma. Not only because the team took, well, completed this grand slam of three grand tours, but because Richard Plugger was a, a bit of a lightning rod. In, um, in, in for sort of good and ill in 2023. Um, it was the pretty contentious and at times divisive and popular AIGCP president. Um, in the last couple of weeks, he's been called a thief by Cedric Vasseur for the Kian Utebrooks 
saga or having lured him away from Bora Hansgrohe was of course his his war of words with Mark Maddio um, saying that beer was poison and a substance that shouldn't be touched by any professional cyclist. There was the merger, the biggest nothing burger of 2023, the merger that never happened with Sudal Quickstep. So I think um, Richard Plugger, more than anyone else, he is the sort of emblematic, the symbolic figure of 2023. Does anyone else have any ideas or suggestions? Well, well as, I, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, Pogacar will be my personality of the year, of this year, probably next, probably next year, probably the year after. And as long as, and as, long as he rides, you know, because he's uh, really the most exciting rider I've seen in many, 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 many years. So I'll go for Tade every year. <laughs> uh, can I, I'll jump on the back of that because, you know, I'm going to be really boring and say the same thing Pogacar because look his season is so round you know first Flanders second at the Tour Lombardia Flesh Amstel third at the Worlds remember as well wins Paranis like that's just so round as as a GC guy we don't see that anymore I think since the Lance day since he created this new way of going about the Tour but the thing that I why he gets person of the year the most for me is because he's bringing the human element back He's, he's diffusing the whole robotic thing about it. To his detriment, potentially, riding on the rest day with a baguette in his pocket, doing a backflip into the swimming pool on the rest day of the Tour de France. I guess he probably copped a bit of slack from the team for that when he didn't win the Tour, but who cares? You know, he's just doing it. He's, he's living his life. Look, I've just seen recently the Matt Preston um, coffee ride video with him. He's just a good character. Takes the camera into his house doing monos in the middle of the street and he's just bringing the human element back that's what i love about him apart from what uh, francois said he's just so dominant i mean mitch what you say about uh, well his sort of his persona on social media particularly but even the other day when the giro d'italia announced he was going to their race in 2024 and um, you know i, I I tried and struggled and couldn't imagine Jonas Vingegaard, for example, even playing ball with that sort of thing. And you might say that participating in videos like that and that kind of, you know, social media campaign, participating in the hype around him and and almost um, encouraging the hype around him, that could be to his detriment, couldn't it? I mean, in terms of a sort of a narrative being built that... um, He's not as focused as Vingegaard. Um, but in, in the long run, in terms of his sort of the mark that he leaves on the sport, it's a, it's a force for good, isn't it? It's, it's like you think of a young kid who's trying to follow the sport and get into it. I think that can connect to the character of Tadei more than, say, Vingegaard. You know, it's just something exciting. It brings you a really fun element to it. And I think when I think about my own son or, you know, kids older than that, that's what they want to do. Get out there and race and be human you know with it for lack of a better word it seems to me to me as well that that is he's starting a kind of a collection of wins he wants to win all the monuments and and in that sense my impression is that next year's it, it the Giro would probably be his number one goal because he's already won the tour you see what i mean he seems he seems he wants them all you know the, the whole list uh, the world tour you know uh 
calendar on on his you know record uh, in, uh, at the end of his career. So uh, that, that, that's also an exciting. I, I worry thing. about one thing, Francois: the extent to which he's going to be love bombed by Italy and the Italians. We've talked about this on the podcast before. <laughs> um, they are so unbelievably flattered and enamoured when a big foreign star comes to the Giro d'Italia, and every interview we'll start with a question about how much they love Italy and how much they love pizza and how much they love pasta. And it's going to be really, really tedious. I'd just like you, like to prepare you for that. I had uh, Richard Pluga as well. I think he would definitely be the person of the year just because he was so instrumental in so many parts of the season. But I would like to make an honorable mention for Adam Hansen, who's taking over the CPA. I mean, mm-hmm. I was in the World Tour for... I guess seven years and I, and I never saw Johnny Buño one time. I think they still owe me several thousand euros for my, for my uh, retirement fund. Um, but you know, just having seen all the, the articles and having seen Adam Hansen and talked to him at the tour de France this year, I mean, to see the CPA actually involved in the sport. Um, and I know sometimes there's been some, you know, controversy and he is trying to change things. And oftentimes mm-hmm. that's, you know, an uphill battle and, it, and it's slow moving. Maybe Larry could speak to this, but um, for the first time I have actually seen the CPA pretty involved in, you know, day-to-day conversations that are taking place in, in the men's Peloton. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I would definitely second that. Uh, I think that's a really good uh, honorable mention because, like, really, it's the first time I've ever felt like the CPA is actually doing something, and like Adam is like very present and available, and uh, yeah, really trying to make a difference, and that's that's really cool. I, I will say that also, I. I, I I kind of wanted to have Teddy Pogachar also, but I didn't know if that was cool. And randomly, I also passed Pogachar when he was doing that podcast with Matt Stevens. <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> of course you did. Um, chaps, Larry, and maybe you, Ian, and also anyone else, just on Plugger and my nomination of Plugger, does he deserve the most credit? Um, of all of, of everyone at Jumbo Visma? I mean, he's obviously kind of the architect. We had him on the podcast for a long interview last year where he talks about the sort of genesis of the Jumbo Visma empire, I suppose you could call it now. But um, Marijn Zeman, for example, the the head coach, um, he's someone who I think most people in the sport think he's a great mind and, and may even be sort of more instrumental in the success they've had than um, Richard Plugger or um, a, th- a third sort of name I'd suggest put forward and Primoz Roglic as a talismanic figure that the team is now going to lose and it it strikes me that there is a sort of hint of kind of hubris in some of what's been going on around the team over the last couple of months and Plugger this you know the the breakaway league the merger um, you know there, there might be a suspicion that he's sort of getting ideas above his station and it strikes me that, that Roglic has been a sort of grounding force in this project as well Roglic's sort of stoicism is a kind of well to employ a term that Francois might use a kind of bullshit antidote and they will miss the the they will miss Roglic for that reason as well I mean, I guess I got in trouble for talking about Team Sky, any else the other day about Rod. But I mean, in a way, there's a lot of resemblance to kind of the maybe the decline of of Enios, you know, and I think Brailsford at the time got a lot of credit for that team. And I think, you know, um, when you look at any kind of CSO or CEO or like, you know, boss of a team, you know, oftentimes their job and why they're successful is they put the right people in the right places. So essentially that's that's their focus is putting, you know, whether it's Zeman or, you know, different coaches, staff, riders, you know, they're overseeing everything and kind of bringing it all together. Um, but like every great empire, you know, they start to fall and, and, and Roglic leaving could be like an instrumental part. You know, you look at the team where they 
were, I guess, in 2020, you know, when they they almost won the tour with Primos, you know, a lot of those riders are gone. You know, Dumoulin's gone. Now Primos is gone. Um, you know, at some point, you know, someone will, will catch them and, and be on top once more. Boswell slams Jumbo Visma. I can see the headlines tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I, think, I think, like, if for my take on it, you know, I think he probably did make a lot of positive change, but I, I think, you know, it's kind of a... Yeah. Yeah, Pluga. I mean, but I, I think, you know, he's a guy who comes with like a business background and maybe not a background in cycling, if I'm correct. And like, you know, essentially put in probably some pretty basic business principles and like good practices, which in general in cycling just wasn't really that in place. OK, maybe with Team Sky, everything like that. But, you know, I think uh, he took over an organization that was kind of like, you know, at the bottom and uh, was open to change. And I think it was probably that spirit of being open to change that allowed all that like progression to happen and you know i think it was just kind of like a positive spiral and so yeah i mean maybe you know he's to thank for a lot of it but yeah i guess it definitely wouldn't have been all him you know i mean there's obviously other parts yeah like getting road glitch and stuff like that maybe it was a bit of luck but uh but yeah i think uh you know there's a lot of progression that can still happen in cycling and i think he just uh you know, took over an organization that was ripe for progress. So, so yeah. And I, I guess I'll just add one more thing on that. I mean, for the longest time, and I guess this was when you look at Sky in their heyday, you know, they really couldn't make a, a misstep. You know, at some point, the, the fans and journalists kind of were against them. And I guess that's to a degree what's happening now at, at Yumbo. Um, but there was very, there's been very little controversy. Everything's been on the upward trajectory. And, you know, you look at the the controversies that they've been been in this year kind of resembles a lot of, you know, I guess when kind of Sky was transitioning to to Ineos and a lot of those, you know, obviously with the Salbutamol thing with Froome and, you know, the whole fiasco with Wiggins, you know, there was kind of these murmurs came up after, you know, they kind of had reached the, reached the top. Um, and there's, there are a lot of similarities in kind of the trajectory of where Sky went and when they became Ineos and kind of where Yumbo has come from and where they are now. You know, I think that's true. Okay, chaps, well, we'll go with Richard Plugger um, as our man of the year. He'll have to pose on a magazine cover with his cat draped over his shoulders, a la Taylor Swift. And um, we will go with Adam Hansen for our, um, what did we say? Um, Adam Hansen, honourable mention, honourable mention. Um, Larry, we're going to have to say goodbye to you in a minute because you're still at training camp. You've got to get, um, well, you've got to think about your sleep score. Um, Mitch as well. I think you've got to take your kids to school. But before we say goodbye to you, chaps, a um, lot of goodbyes in 2023. Um, I'll just list a few of them. Annemiek van Vleuten, I said this was, we're going to concentrate on men's cycling today, but um, she obviously is very notable. Um, farewell in 2023. Peter Sagan, Daniel Oss, Mate, Mate Bodnar, um, Thibaut Pinot, Jose Joaquin Rojas, Imanol Erviti, Mathieu Ladagnou, Nasia Bueni, Jos van Emden, Tony Galopin, Greg Van Avema, Daryl Impey, Maxime Bouet, the list goes on. Um, anyone, chaps, that you would particularly like to um, wax lyrical about, send out, send off, you two, Mitch, Larry, any of those chaps that you've had experience with that you would like to pay tribute to? Well, two two you didn't mention are like Mika Shirell and Mickey Cher, who were both like my teammates. And I don't know, I, I would say like uh, I turned pro with Mickey. And uh, yeah, I, I had like a lot of like nice experience with him. He taught me a lot when I was a neo pro. 
And uh, yeah, then I did the last few years with him too. So uh, yeah, I'll miss him, but he's going to be a director at Trek this year. So I guess I'll still be seeing him around. And then yeah, Mika Sherell, it was like nice to have him in the team these last few years. He's a super nice guy. He also lives down in the south of France. And uh, so I'm also sure I'll be seeing him around. But but yeah, both those guys, I'll definitely miss miss having them in the bunch and having them in the team to... Uh, yeah, talk to and uh, shoot the shit with a bit, and and, and yeah, so uh, so those guys will both be missed for me. Yeah, I'd probably say yeah, Daryl Impey, you know, a close friend of mine, a guy that I lived with in uh, in Girona and raced with on Green Edge, and almost like welcome to the to the afterlife, mate. Welcome to the new world. Um, he's that moving out dark, to Sydney, <laughs> Sydney, Australia. Welcome, welcome to the afterlife. Exactly, the the better life. Um, so he's out in Sydney, Australia. So, you know, not really around the corner, but at least in the same country. You know, I think it's a really interesting phase for, you know, ex-athletes, especially ex-professional cyclists, this next phase. And it's it's really interesting to see where they go, um, you know, in terms of what business ventures or, you know, how they handle it mentally. And, you know, that'll be really interesting. Another guy I don't know that well, but I really sort of always cross paths a lot with was Maxim Bouet. Him and I raced together back at Tour de Lavinia and it's sort of weird one of those guys you have your whole career with. You're there at the very beginning and you keep crossing paths the whole time. So I always had an eye for him, even though we didn't have much to do with each other to see him retire. I know he was there from the beginning of my career. We turned pro at the same time and blah blah blah. He's now finishing his career. So, you know, welcome to the uh, the afterlife. On that note, chaps, I'm gonna release you into the wild. Um... Thank you. And wish you a very Merry Christmas. Um, probably a hot one for you, Mitch. Hopefully a recuperative one for Larry is looking, as I said, a little bit tired. But we expect big things from Larry in 2024. Grand Tour victories and so on and so forth. So Merry Christmas, chaps. And thanks for everything you've done for us in 2023. Thanks, thanks everyone. Enjoy. It's been a pleasure. And that leaves Ian Boswell, Richard Abraham, Rob Hatch, François Tomazot. I think that's... That's all of us, isn't it? Five of us left. Suddenly there were five. Um, Chaps, um, that's about it as regards review of the year. Um, I did send out an invitation on the group before we started recording today, thinking about how everyone's going to be spending the next couple of weeks a a bit more downtime than they usually have maybe over the Christmas period. Um, I asked you whether you had any recommendations, sporting or not, um, books, podcasts, films, documentaries, anything you've particularly enjoyed in 2023, um, ways in which people might like to spend their time over the next couple of weeks. Anyone got any? Go There's on, something Richard. that I've found myself re-watching. I've watched it before, but The Trip with Steve Coogan and Rob Ryden. Just as an insight into what life is sometimes like on the road. Tell people, so this is, is a show that is only, only comes out in the UK, isn't it? I think, well, it's on Sky and Netflix, I think, okay. some of it. There's and been seri- t- several series. For international listeners, tell, for tell in- them what it is. For international listen- listeners, it's Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, two well-known comedians here in the UK, who, are, it's a sort of fly-on-the-wall, exaggerated version of themselves, um, and they go on a trip to dine out at various restaurants. The first one set in the UK, and then they go to Italy and Spain, Greece. It's a bit like a good um, cycling podcast without the cycling, with a lot more kind of Michael Caine impressions, and yeah, just a lot more impressions in general. But just as a, 
in, in the way that sort of lots of things happen but nothing happens and there's the the sort of relationships between people on the road um i i just i find those two quite funny and very compelling viewing seeing their sort of interactions and and see a lot of when you get to you know third week of a grand tour or spending a long time on the road with people a lot of those sort of the ways that characters can brush up against each other and yeah deal with little inconveniences and so on Oh no, here the trip and the cycling podcast will veer apart because it's perfect harmony at all times in the cycling podcast car. Uh, Francois, maybe we could read one of your books. I actually finished translating into English one of my novels. Uh, it's being subbed, uh, sub-edited by, uh, well, native uh, English writers uh, to, to make it more, uh, you know, well, probably more literary or whatever. It's a, it's a crime novel called Marseille Confidential. So, yeah, it might, who knows? It, it might be published in English in uh, 2024. It would be great. Uh, I'm also, I've also started Working, working on a couple of books directly in English on cycling, but I can't say much more for now. Uh, also, because we didn't bid farewell to Thibaut Pinot, ex except by saying, uh, well, that is now, you know, as you say, PSG hooligan, uh, uh, <laughs> which is uh, a bit of a pain for me because I like Thibaut very much but I hate Paris Saint-Germain and so thanks uh, Mitch to mention Max Bouet because he's from Marseille like me uh, but I, I, this is an insider uh, information uh, I know that Thibaut will be, tr will be working on a book not an autobiography but it, it, it's been approached by a publisher specialized in nature and so they, they, they make books with celebrities about their relationship with nature and obviously, well, as we know, Thibault likes his goats and his uh, donkeys and his, uh, uh, you know, strollers in the countryside. So he might be writing on that, you know, short, shortly. So Francois, so far you've, you've recommended a book that's still being subbed, a yeah. book that might come out in 2024. <laughs> Is there anything that's out yet? <laughs> a book that might come out. That, that, that's right. That's 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 things to look forward to, which is which is interesting as well. But if if you want, to, if you if if you haven't made your uh, Christmas present uh, or gifts uh, yet, and you want to improve your French, I would recommend. You know, Dans la Musette is one of the uh, few uh, interesting uh, French cycling websites and you know and Twitter accounts. Dans la Musette, they're called, and uh, they have a book out called Le Tour de la France, and it's 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 kind of the Tour de France uh, seen from a kind of a yeah uh, uh, yeah funny point of view it's, it's full of it's full of you know silly stories and silly little facts like we things we like so it's of, of course it's in French but it's called Le Tour de la France by Dans la Musette and you can buy it on well of course online uh, for the French readers or if, if you want to read in French a little bit why not yeah. I am reading a book at the moment. It probably doesn't pertain to anyone else uh, listening. Uh, I, I believe it's called Populating Vermont, and it's, it's essentially just around like how <laughs> how Vermont was trying to Back be to populated. And, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I guess, you know, um, I guess I'd also just like to give a huge shout out to the cycling podcast. I noticed a, a dramatic increase in my training volume whenever a grand tour is going on, just because I do, I do listen to, to this podcast, you know, more so than anything else. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I know that Lionel's not always a f huge fan of these longer form episodes, but the more we record and the longer they are, the more time I spend on my bike riding. So um, maybe longer podcast than next for next year. 
And finally, to you, Rob Hatch, although from your facial expression, I got the sense that you weren't prepared for this question. Sorry, teacher. I was up at 5am this morning. I've been on two flights. I've done my best Terry Wogan impression of the world of presentation. I do, however, have a lovely book sitting right next to me on the desk. No, no, it's called um, The Best There Never Was by no, Daniel Freeber about Jan Ulrich. Um, I won't give out any podcast recommendations apart from this one because, to be honest, given the state of the world at the minute, they've mainly been news and things like that, and oh, I'm probably advised not consuming any more of that at the minute. Uh, I did just recently, the podcast I sometimes browse is Bill Maher, American comedian, mm. does a podcast called club random where he usually gets high and has some drinks with guests or celebrities and lance was a recent guest on his oh. podcast um didn't reveal anything too i guess uh new for any of us cycling fans but um yeah daniel you may you may enjoy that i will enjoy that i'm sure um just a couple from me a couple of things i've enjoyed in 2023 on the sort of sports documentary front i watch a lot of sports documentaries and um, boom boom alex gibney's two-part boric specker um, documentary, a lot of parallels between Bryce Becker and Jan Ulrich, um, but that was a, a, a cracking watch. Um, really, really entertaining. Bryce Becker, a very, very entertaining character, I would say. And podcast series, one I particularly enjoyed, was called Missed Fortune about the um, a buried treasure in the United States, a sort of a collector, a very rich collector philanthropist who. Um, sort of created this riddle which beguiled thousands tens of thousands of people in the United States they went looking for his lost treasure um, over years and decades and missed fortune the podcast series tells the story of how just how obsessed people became trying to find this um, this buried treasure in the American wilderness so that'd be my recommendation um, something to sort of um spend a few hours doing consuming over the festive period but chaps um that concludes i think our review of the year christmas episode i would like to thank you um just as i thanked mitch and larry for your wonderful input in 2023 hopefully there'll be more from all of you in 2024 just uh, a couple more thanks to people who have contributed to the podcast this year um lionel couldn't join us today unfortunately because he has covid um we were supposed to have a christmas message from lionel third time this year i believe um i've got a christmas lunch with lionel in two days um, he's hopeful that he'll be better by then but um i am doubtful um anyway and thanks, of course, to Lionel. Um, thanks to our sponsors, Map Science and Sport. Thanks to Audio Boom, who sort of hosts our um, data. And, um, well, they do more than just that for us. Um, they are the sort of the switchboard, the, the mothership for the Cycling Podcast. Thanks to our producers, Hugh Owen, Will Jones, Tom Wally, John Mooney, and Adam Bowie, who do invaluable work for us all year. And thanks also to David Luxton, who also does a lot for us behind the scenes on the business front. And chaps, on that note, I am going to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And we will be hearing from you all in the new year. Bye.